All right, so we are starting a new series called On the Road. One of the things that I love to do when we start series in 710 is just to start looking at Jesus. Now, all of Scripture uh, focuses our eyes on Jesus, but there's something about, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know there's something about immersing your time in the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these accounts of Jesus' life. And we're going to do a series, we're doing a series called On the Road. And uh, if you're in your Bible and you go to the book of Luke, chapters like 9 through chapters 19 is this whole journey where Jesus is on a journey towards Jerusalem and he's going to his death. He's going to give up his life for the sins of the world and he's going to take his throne to rule over all nations. And right before Jesus, uh, or all along the journey, when Jesus is on the road with his disciples headed towards Jerusalem, he's giving final instructions and teachings and guidance to his disciples who are going to take his ministry on after Jesus leaves and ascends to the Father. And then he's going to empower his followers with the Holy Spirit. So over the next six weeks, we're going to take select passages, and we're just going to look at what it means to follow Jesus afresh, and we're just going to jump in, and tonight we're going to talk about the demands of discipleship and the cost of following Jesus, because I wanted to do something real soft at the start of our time together. So uh, if you guys would, let's stand, and let's read uh, Jesus' words, God's word together. If you feel comfortable, hold out your hand to receive the word of God. Uh, this is the word of God, Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, great, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is our daily bread. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us tonight as we are your disciples, your apprentices, Lord, as we seek to follow you with the whole of our life, Lord, would you, by your spirit, speak to us as a community, and would you speak to us individually about what it means to follow you along the road. Lord, we're excited for what you have for us. I pray that you would soften our hearts, help us to receive what you have, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may have a seat. All right, so when I read this passage, I had this thought. Isn't it amazing how okay Jesus is with people not following him? Like, think about that for a second. Isn't it amazing how okay Jesus is with people not following him? Like, if we're going to be honest, like, Jesus is more okay than me with people not following him. Like, you know, I'm talking to people, like, I want them to follow Jesus, whether it's my neighbor or people, and there's, like, this desperation of, like, like, I don't even want to, like, make it sound bad because I just want you to get, like, how, how beautiful Jesus is. And then you read Jesus, and you're like, he literally invites people to follow him or people ask to follow him and then he like tries to talk them out of it before they even join. Like we're doing alpha and it's like, hey, you like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like we're doing alpha, we're trying to like reach people, we're trying to like, and, and we just do this as Christians. We try to like sell people on Jesus and then you read Jesus' words, you're like, geez, Jesus is really intense and he seems to be like really okay with people not following him. He's like, hey guys, I, you know, like, Jesus, I'll follow you. He's like, let the dead bury the dead. He's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. You're not going to have a place to go. Like, he's just so upfront about it. 
And what's, it, it kind of reminds me of this. Think about it this way. How many of you have gone on a first date where you started the date telling the other person how much being in a relationship with you would cost them? Yes. <laughs> you know, you, that's, you're one of a hundred. <laughs> But I just imagine, we just don't, we just, like, as humans, like, put yourself in what Jesus is saying. As humans, we don't do this. Like, imagine going to your first date, like, hey, met you online, so glad you're here. Like, what do you need to know about me? Like, well, the first thing you need to know is that being in a relationship with me is going to cost you your whole life. We're going to argue. You're going to have to give up so much. Like, we just don't do that, right? Because part of dating is, like, selling yourself. But Jesus just does not do that. One of the things I think, one of the reasons I think as Christians we kind of get confused on Jesus is I think sometimes we imagine Jesus and treat Jesus like he's a politician. Like uh, he's trying to get our vote, you know, and the vote being believing in him. Like he's trying to like present the best part of himself. And he, like, we're just like, he's, it's, we almost treat him like a politician. Like we're trying to get people to like vote with us and, you know, like this is the guy. Like, but Jesus just is not that way. And this is what I started to realize Jesus isn't a politician trying to get your votes. He's a king leading you into a war. And there's a huge difference in the methods and how you communicate people to follow you versus when you're trying to get votes and when you're trying to lead people into a war. I talked to a young adult recently, probably three weeks ago or something like that, and he was an army ranger. He went to Afghanistan and Iraq, and I was like intimidated to even meet with him. And I was just trying to, like, I was processing, I was like, dude, what was it like overseas? What is it like being in combat? Like, you're not, like, on the fringes. Like, you're literally in the center of it. He was, like, special operations. It was, like, intense. I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm younger than you. I was like, okay. But I asked him, I was like, What's it, what was it like for you going into war and experiencing all those things? Like, afterwards, were you surprised or shocked? And he goes, honestly, I wasn't because I knew, like, the Army prepared me what I was actually getting into. And if the army didn't prepare me into what I was getting into, I'd compromise the mission, and I might not actually make it through. In a similar way, Jesus isn't just trying to get votes, just trying to get people into heaven. Jesus is leading his people into a war against the powers of darkness, against Satan, and against the darkness that's within you. And Jesus will only make sense. He goes, listen, you're going to compromise the mission. You actually might make, not make it through if you don't understand how much following me is going to cost you and how much the world will hate you and how much Satan will become after you if you are part of my family. So I just want to say that Jesus talks that way because I want you to keep in that in mind. He's, he's a king leading a people into war. So with that being said, let's jump in. Luke 9:51. we'll kind of rework through the verses. Jesus says this. He says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So scholars call this section of Luke the travel narrative. Like I already said, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The one note that I want you to kind of pay attention to is uh, Jesus is on the road to take his throne. So if you'll see in the NIV, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that isn't just saying like, as the time came for Jesus to go to heaven, the best translation is like, as the time approached for Jesus to take his throne. Jesus was an Israelite. He was the Messiah. He was coming to reign over the nations, and he's bringing his disciples along with him. And being on the road, quote unquote, for us today who are not literally on the road, with Jesus is this idea, it's a picture of traveling with Jesus through the world 
on the narrow road of the kingdom. So this whole series is like as we are on the road, as we are traveling with Jesus through the world on the narrow road of the kingdom, what does he have to say? And so what we're going to see in the story that we talked about is that there's three encounters that Jesus has with three individuals or would-be disciples, potential disciples, and each encounter that Jesus has with each one of these people is going to teach us something about what it means to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? And the whole idea of this passage, before I jump in, is supposed to lead us as a community and you personally to ask yourself whether or not you are willing to follow Jesus on his terms. And so that's what we're going to see tonight. So look, let's look at the first encounter in verses 57 through 58. Jesus says this, So as they're walking along the road, a man said to him, so picture Jesus walking along the road, he has disciples with him, and a man said to him, I picture it not like a whispering, like, hey, by the way, can you stop? Like, I picture a guy yelling out from the crowd saying this, I will follow you wherever you go. So you have this man, he's like, he's overconfident, he's super confident in himself. He goes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus goes, great, I just want you to know everything that's entailed in that. Foxes have dens, Birds have nests. In other words, the creatures out in the world have security, have home. But the Son of Man, me, in the mission and the war that I'm leading my people into, you'll have no place to lay your head. And what Jesus first, like literally the people actually wouldn't have a place to lay their head if they were in this story. But for us, it means something different. Here's the first thing that we learn of what it means to follow in Jesus. Following Jesus means being open and willing to give up everything at any moment including our felt sense of security. Jesus is saying that as we follow him, he needs to be our first security. Because at some point, following Jesus, you know this, at some point, Jesus will call you to do something that will just make you kind of feel like I'm losing my felt sense of security. As I was thinking through this, I kind of thought, I was like, what would be like a helpful way of explaining the mindset that Jesus wants us to have as his followers? And I think it's helpful to distinguish Two mindsets that you can have as a Jesus follower. First, you can have a traveler mentality or you can have a settler mentality. Jesus is traveling along the road. He said, listen, you can have a traveler mentality or a settler mentality. And here's the thing. As a Christian, you can have both, but the difference in your mind is huge and it'll make the world of difference. Here's how I would explain the difference. A settler mentality is making Jesus at home in your world. You're in the world You're at your house, your apartment, your roommates, your career, your job, your wants, your dreams, and you just kind of take Jesus and go, I want you to fit into this world because I'm settled. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what I'm thinking, and I just want to make Jesus cozy and at home in my world. Like, I'm settled, and I'm just kind of not moving. So if Jesus asked me to go, I'm like, well, this is my world that you're fitting me into. Here's the difference. A traveler mentality is making yourself at home in Jesus' world. A settler goes, Jesus, be at home in my world. A traveler mentality goes, Jesus, I just want to make myself at home in your world because I know that everything that you've called me to, everything that you're given, this is yours and I am a creature living in your world. I'm a child living in your family. I will go wherever you want me to. And here's the point here. A traveler recognizes that God's presence is their ultimate home. A traveler recognizes that God's presence is their ultimate home. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you what Jesus says. I'm going to apply it. And then I'm just going to tell you on every single one of these points how Jesus is teaching this in my life. So uh, about a week ago, literally a week ago yesterday, I landed at 7 p.m. here in Arizona from a trip that our church went to Alaska for. uh, For about 
seven days. It was a 10-day trip. We went to, literally, this is how it works. You fly into Anchorage, and then you take a plane that's like the size of me, and you get on it, and you fly through the mountains, and you land in a place that literally you can only get there by barge or by plane. It's like a dirt runway. It's absolutely wild. And we, we serve uh, kids who are a part of villages. A lot of them are native. And it's an incredible place. And one of the things that I've always prayed to the Lord, like, and I'm just being really personal with you, I, so much of my prayer time since I was a young person, I was like, Lord, I am beyond average. And God's like, I know. And I'm like, no, I know, I know. And I was like, but Lord, I will literally follow you wherever you go. Like anything that you want me to do, anything that you call me to, I just want to be used by you. You just say it. And so I read this passage and I was like, oh my gosh, I will follow you wherever you go. So I was in Alaska and I was there, I was serving. In Alaska, here's how I would say, Alaska is the most beautiful, incredible place in the world that I would never want to live. Like, literally, like, like, there's so many reasons for it. Pretty much everything, like, all the guys are just, like, super manly there, like, from the world standpoint. It's like, they all chop down trees, drive snowmobiles. I talked to, like, one of the pastors there. He's like, yeah, there's, like, no mechanic shops. You just have to learn how to, like, fix your car. And I was like, where's the Planet Fitness? Like, is there any, like, Walmart? Is there anything? Like, where's Trader Joe's? I can't cook without pre-made meals. Like, there's, there's, there's so many things there that just, like, heighten my sense of just, like, insecurity. And honestly, it's hard. It's remote. Like, I'm a people person. And so, like, it just, and I remember I kept having comments with multiple people. I'm like, would you live here? Would you live here? And they're like, no. And I was like, I would never live here. <laughs> and I remember as I was up there, as silly as this is, I remember, so I was like, all right, I'm going to prep for 710. As they were walking along the road, a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And God said, oh, I didn't know there was conditions on the things that I could call you to do. I didn't know there was conditions on the places I could send you. I didn't know there was conditions on the things that I could ask you to do. No, I'm not saying God's calling me to Alaska, but God used that experience to go, are you as in as you think you are? Psalm 91 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. God's people for all time have recognized that God's presence is your security and God's presence is your home. And God, here, here, here's the point, guys. When God is your dwelling place, you can leave everything to follow Jesus and still be at home. When God is your dwelling place, you can leave everything to follow Jesus and still be at home. Because your resting place stops becoming a place and starts becoming a person. So I just want to say to some of you in the room, God might be asking you to go somewhere, to do something, doesn't have to be traveling, that is threatening your felt sense of security. God might be, and here's the thing, some of you, your felt sense of security is in wanting to go. And God might be saying, stay. God might be calling you to something that is going to just throw you through a world, but listen, what God is saying is a traveler recognizes that God's presence is their ultimate home because when your resting place is in God, it's no longer a place, but it starts being a person. So the first thing that we see is that to follow Jesus is to make him our first security. The second thing that we're going to see in the second encounter that Jesus has is that Jesus is our first priority. Look at the next few verses, verses 59 through 60. So this time, so foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then in verse 59, a new person comes in, and Jesus, Jesus says to another man, follow me. But he replied, first, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. When I read this, I was like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, like, like put yourself in the story. Like, I think sometimes we're like, well, Jesus can say whatever he wants, and Jesus can say whatever he wants. But put yourself in the story. Like, Jesus kind of feels like a jerk here, doesn't he? Because yeah. here's the thing. This time, Jesus asked, the first one, the guy asked to follow Jesus. This time, Jesus asked a guy to follow him. So Jesus is on the road. He's like, hey, follow me. And he's like, hey, can I go bury my father? And Jesus is like, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. And you're like, what is that about? Is it, it's, it's totally, it, like, it's, it's a really good excuse. The man puts off Jesus. Like, if there is an excuse, that seems like a really good one. But here's the thing. I think Jesus asked this man to follow him because Jesus knew there was actually something deeper going on that he wanted to reveal to the man. Uh, Philip Graham Ryken, uh, in his commentary on this passage, gives us a really helpful clarification of what was actually the excuse of this man. So pay attention. This is what it says. It says, On first reading, most people think this conversation took place between the death of the man's father and his proper, proper burial, the face value reading. But in all likelihood, his father was not yet dead. In those days, Jewish people buried their dead within 24 hours, and family members sat with the body of the deceased until it was laid to rest. If the father had died already, his son would not have been take, talking with Jesus at all, but sitting at home with his family in mourning. Does that make sense? So then you go, like, well, what the heck is he saying? Like, what is he saying? Let me go bury my father. What is he saying? So that phrase, let me go bury my father, doesn't always mean literally let me go and bury my father. Um, but in different cultures, this phrase actually means something completely different, and specifically in an ancient culture like the time that Jesus was in. This is what the man was saying. Here's my, here's my summary of what this man was saying. He was saying, let me first serve my father and fulfill my family responsibilities. And once I have done that, he's died and I bury him, then I will come and follow you. So that phrase, let me go bury my father, is saying, listen, let me just finish out my time. My father, at that time, the father was the patriarch of the family. So he wasn't just dad, he was boss. Can you imagine that? It's like dad boss. Some of you are like, that's my worst nightmare. But that's just how it was in that culture. And he's saying, listen, let me go serve my father. Let me kind of like do my time. And then once I do that and my responsibilities are over as the son or the oldest son, uh, once he's died, I'll bury him. And then Jesus, I'll come and follow you. So this man was giving an excuse based on social responsibilities, and Jesus responds, this is why it makes sense. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. Let the spiritually dead, let those outside the kingdom deal with those responsibilities, but you come and follow me and proclaim with me that God's reign has arrived and broken into the world. Does that make sense? So that's what's actually going on. So here's, in short, what Jesus is teaching us in this moment, in this encounter. He's, Jesus is teaching us, us this. Following Jesus means that his kingdom must have the highest priority over every other priority in your life. This man, here's the, here's the key. Have you noticed? It said, Lord, first let me. It didn't just say, like, Lord, let me. He says, first let me. In other words, there was priorities in this man's life, his social responsibilities, his future. And he goes, Jesus, let me get that in order and then I'll come follow you. Is that cool? And Jesus goes, no. Let me ask you a question. If you were this man, or woman, insert yourself, if Jesus said, hey, follow me, he invited you, and maybe following, 
following me doesn't mean like actually make a decision to follow me. Maybe Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, follow me in this area of, my, of your life. Hey, in your dating, follow me. There's some things out of whack. Hey, in your career, follow me. In your money, follow me. Maybe Jesus is saying, follow me in a certain area of your life. But what, what's your version of Jesus first let me go what? You fill in the blank. Jesus is like, listen, follow me in your finances. Well, first let me g- get financial security. Jesus, follow me, well, follow, me in your, follow me in your dating. Well, first let me get married and then I'll kind of take that self-control stuff seriously. You fill in the blank. We all have our own version. Let me just ask you this. What gets in the way of your complete devotion to Jesus? What hinders it? Is it your career? Is it your singleness? Maybe it's even doubt. Here's, here's, a, here's a thing I see in Christian circles and in my own self. Like, Jesus, once you start answering these questions, then I'll start following you in this area, but I don't understand, so once you get the answers, then I'll follow you. You see how much we're like this man? Jesus first let me. Philip Graham Riken says this. He says, What hinders us from following Christ is not always something sinful. Sometimes it's something good in itself that nevertheless gets in the way of what God really wants to do in your life. There may be something really good in your life that is hindering you from what God actually has in you. Like I said, I'll share. I, don't, I was trying to think through this. And I'm like, Lord, what is this for me? Like, what is the priority? What is the thing you're calling me to follow you? And, and I, this isn't like crazy, but um, I don't know if you know this, but pastors don't make a, a ton of money. And my wife's a fitness coach part-time, which pays a ton of money. Just kidding, it doesn't. We had a baby. All this stuff, is, which is amazing. She's beautiful. I would just say, my wife and I aren't in the season where we just have a ton of money floating around everywhere. But you know what's interesting? I have never had God speak to me more about places that he's wanted me to be generous except in this season. There's people he's highlighting. And I'm, I'm going to confess this to you. There are so many things that God has called me to serve him in, to give to, that I haven't yet because I'm scared. Because I'm just like, Lord, this just isn't adding up. Like, it just doesn't work. But here's what God often calls you to follow him in places of lack that you can never expect, and yet he fills you in ways that you never expected either. God just does it. Uh, it was funny, uh, like, uh, it wasn't funny to me, but it's funny, kind of. So, like, three months ago, I've been having sickness issues for, like, a long time. Like, every other week for six months, I've been sick, except for, like, the last month, which, like, praise the Lord for that. So everybody's like, you should probably check that out. And I was like, I probably should do that. So I went and got a blood test. And Crystal's like, hey, did you know you got an $800 blood test? And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I paid 15 bucks there. They're like, no, it's an $800 blood test. And in the middle of all of this, I'm like, oh my gosh. God's just like, hey, see this person? Time to give. See this thing? Time to give. And that's how God is working on it for me. And I don't know what God is working on it for you, but sometimes it's a good thing, like security, like someone you love, like a career that God calls you to follow him, that he wants you to just trust him and keep going. Does that make sense? Encounter number two. Are you guys ready for encounter number three? Clearly. All right. (laughs) Verses 61 through 62. Jesus says this. Still another said. All right, so this time we're back to a person saying, I will follow you. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, there's that word again, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All right, this is another one of those things where you're like, okay, Jesus. You know, like Jesus is on the road. You're like, this guy's like, Jesus, I, like, I'll follow you. I'm ready. He's like, can I just go say goodbye to Pops real quick? Mom, like, I can give my sister a hug. And Jesus is like, no. 
He's like, no, I'm just going to go say goodbye. Is that cool? Like, is that I'm going to go say goodbye? And she's like, no. If you look back and you're trying to plow, so I'm not a farmer, but I can imagine that, like, if you're plowing, like, you know, you're digging these kind of ruts into the ground, and he was, Jesus says, if you look back, what's going to happen? You're going to have a crooked line. And she's like, listen, if you look back even to your family, you're not fit for service in my kingdom. That's intense, is it not? Yes. I know, Jesus. All right, here again. It's not actually what you think it is on the face value. So in that culture, again, actually, it's interesting. That phrase, let me say goodbye, that you read in your translation, this is, this is fascinating. Everywhere else in the New Testament, that is translated, let me take leave of. So everywhere else in the New Testament, it's translated, let me take leave of. In other words, let me like, kind of like go retire from my career. Let me, let me go and just get out of my responsibilities. Like that's what it actually means. So the man's not asking to like, hey, let me go say like goodbye to my family. He's saying, let me go home and get permission from my father boss, my dad boss, or whatever you want to call it. Let me just go get permission from dad. And then if he says, okay, then I'll come and follow you. Is that cool? And Jesus says, listen, you want to follow me but you've placed a higher authority in your life above me and my kingdom and my mission. He says, listen, you, you want to follow me, but you're looking over your shoulder to get your dad, your boss's permission. And Jesus goes, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here's the point. Following Jesus means that his kingdom must reign supreme as the highest authority in your life. So we've seen that Jesus must be the highest security, We've seen that he must be your highest priority. And thirdly, we see that following Jesus means that his kingdom, his mission, his call in your life must have the highest authority. Um, John C. Ryle says this. This is very fascinating. He says, those who look back want to go back. Isn't that not true? Those who look back want to go back. And if we are looking at anything else in the world, we are not fit, according to Jesus, to be his disciples. Let me ask you a question. What are you looking back over your shoulder at as you're trying to follow Jesus? We all have something in our life. It might be a past relationship, and you can't look back. and It's kind of causing you to swerve as you go forward. It might be a past season of life. It might be looking back. But we all have something that we look back to that keeps us from following Jesus as the highest authority in our life. Again, I'll be completely transparent. I don't know what that is for you, but what that's been for me is because I honestly, like, I don't mean this like in a prideful sense. I was really wrestling with this. I'm like, Jesus, I really feel like you are the highest authority. Of course, imperfectly, there's times that I sin. There's times that I gossip when I should have. There's times, all that. I am a human just like any of you. But I'm like, what do I actually look back at that distracts me from following Jesus? And here's what the Lord revealed to me today. I was praying through this. I was like, Lord, what is it? He goes, you're looking back to other seasons of your life when it was easier to follow me and wishing you could go back to that. I've, there has been a lot going on in my life for the last two years, and I won't go into all of it for you. There's been challenges with church. There's been, well, like, I'm married, and believe it or not, I'm not perfect in marriage. Crystal could tell you that. But, like, you know, I'm trying to figure out marriage, church. There's just personal losses and griefs, like, all these things. And one of the things that I find myself doing is I kind of look back over my shoulder and go, I kind of miss the old days when that was a reality, when that was easier, when it was just kind of like, when, when pastoring was just caring for people and not having to deal with all this extra stuff, when, fill in the blank. And when Jesus says, listen, if you just keep looking back, you're missing what I have for you right now. And I just want to propose to you, maybe 
somehow, someway, and what you're looking back to, it's actually robbing what God has right in front of you. And I just want you to consider that. You guys still good? Okay, a lot of straight faces tonight. All right, so in, in summary, Jesus, again, first security, first priority, first authority. Here's the last thing that I want to leave with you. There's, a, there's an observation and something that you might have noticed in this passage if you're uh, paying really close attention. Did you notice in this passage that we actually don't know if any of the people follow Jesus? Did you notice that? I'll follow you, response, no answer. I'll follow you, response, no answer. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know. It's a real story, but we don't know. Why do you think that is? Because this story ends where your story starts. And the point of this passage is to go, yeah, we didn't tell you the answer because you're supposed to answer the question. It's an invitation without actually saying it where Jesus is looking towards you through his teaching and Luke, who put this together, is empowered by the Holy Spirit and says, listen, will you make Jesus your highest security? Will you make him your home? Will you make him your highest priority? Will he be your final authority? You have to answer. I can't answer it. The passage can't answer it. Your friend can't answer it. Your spouse can't answer it. You have to answer it to yourself. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm king. It's not enough to believe in me. You must also submit to me. And that's how the passage ends. Pretty good one, huh? All right. Let's just be honest about something, and then I'm going to end my sermon. Jesus is extreme, isn't he? Like, if you're an unbeliever in the room, you're like, I get, like, okay, this all makes sense, like, why Jesus, like, talks people out of things. Like, but, like, why, why would you give yourself to somebody like this? Like, I think we actually all have to, I have that question, you're like, okay, Jesus, like, lose my security, you're my first priority, highest authority, like, that actually messes up a lot in my life. And especially if you're, like, on the fence to follow Jesus, or you're new, and you haven't quite given everything over yet, you're like, what actually makes this whole thing even worth it? Like, why, why is Jesus good enough to actually follow, to make him, like, to actually give up your life for him, to follow him that much that you're willing to do anything for him? And I think it ultimately, at the end of the day, depends on this. It depends if you find Christ useful or if you, def or if you find Christ beautiful. Tim Keller says this. He says, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Let me just tell you something in your life. I promise you, whatever you are following, quote-unquote, whatever you are giving yourself to, quote-unquote, it is because you find that thing or person as the most beautiful thing in your life. We were created to worship beauty. So you will give yourself to what you think is the most beautiful. If you are just a religious person who's just like, I just got to believe the right doctrines, I just got to go to church, I just got to feel good about myself, so like I'm going to go to church, you're, like, there's something in that that's trying to find God useful. Like if, God is just, if, you, if you are trying to use God in your life, you will never follow Jesus in the way that he calls you. Because he's just useful to you. But I'm telling you, if you find God beautiful if you find the love of Jesus tender and kind, and if you see him suffering on the cross for your sin, and if you see the, like, the, the, the blood that he poured out, one of the things that I like to do in my times of prayer is I'll sit there and I'll just try to literally sit there and imagine Jesus suffering on the cross for my sin to cultivate that beauty in my heart that just I don't naturally have. 
to I sit there and I let the Holy Spirit grab a hold of me and I go, man, when you find Jesus is beautiful, I promise him, I promise you, you will follow him anywhere. Amen. Thank you, Carson. Amen. <laughs> Amen, though? Amen. So I'm just going to ask you a question tonight as we end. Will you follow Jesus anywhere? Do you find him useful or do you find him beautiful? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we are, we are thankful that you are honest with us about how hard it will be to follow you. And God, we are also thankful, Lord, that when you resolutely set out for Jerusalem, God, you weren't just setting out to claim your throne, but God, you were setting out to pay for our sin on the cross. And so God, I, say, I pray when we see your passion and when we see your love and when we see you suffering and we see you rising again, God, that we wouldn't just see those as moments in history that happened, but we would see that our story is wrapped up in that story. And God, would we find you truly beautiful? Would we find your kingdom truly beautiful? And God, may we find the sin in our life unappealing. God, would you heal our hearts? I pray this in the name of Jesus.